Football Social Daily. With German Doner Kebab, slow cooked, succulent meats, toasted breads, fresh cut salads, and our signature sauces. Welcome to Football Social Daily. This is your daily Premier League podcast. All the news, opinion, gossip, chat, and results from the world's greatest football league brought to you by the world's greatest kebabs. We are now sponsored by German Doner Kebabs, who bring authentic German Doner Kebabs to the UK. If you've ever been to Germany, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Have you boys been to Germany? Yes. Have you tried the German Doner Kebabs? I have. I haven't. In you Frankfurt, haven't. there's a lot of Turkish uh, influence yeah. in Germany, and be- it makes the food amazing. But they're better than Turkish kebabs because they're on like a bready type thing. But anyway, if you you don't need to get there because you've tried them. You need to get to German <laughs> Donner kebabs. I was, I was on a stag do. I was doing entirely different things. <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast entirely. <laughs> if you want to find your closest German Donner kebab restaurant, you can find that at germandonnerkebab.com. But I've got to say, I've been vegetarian for about 12 months, so it feels weird talking about Donner kebabs, but... It's one of the things I really miss about being vegetarian. So I'm going to stop talking about that because this isn't just a kebab-based podcast. It is a football-based podcast. <laughs> I'm Jim Salverson. That's Marley Anderson. Hello. Niall McCorn's over there. Hello. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Aston Villa, who are edging closer to the Premier League trapdoor. And a 4-0 smashing by Leicester City has moved them that little bit closer. We're going to discuss the action from last night's game and what, in my view, was an absolute howler from VAR as well. Mm-hmm. I imagine that Tottenham fans won't be looking too much forward to tonight's Champions League game at RB Leipzig. We're going to look ahead to Spurs' quest to book a place beyond the last 16 and the injury crisis that will probably prevent them doing just that. And we're all pretty worried about coronavirus right now. The world has gone mental for it and the red half of Liverpool is probably more worried than most. We'll discuss why the current worldwide health scare could be about to take the shine off Liverpool's Premier League winning season. We'll do that very soon, but we're going to start with a sneaky Tuesday review, which is one of the nicest reviews we've had. It's from a chap called Lovely Nine. I say chap, might be a girl. Uh, Lovely Nine in Canada. We're getting quite big in Canada. I know. We're doing all right. Well, do you know what? I've got a theory on this, why we get a load of reviews from the US and Canada. It's because people in the US and Canada are used to saying nice things about other people. (laughs) Whereas in Britain, and we have more listeners in England than anywhere else, because yeah. it's a Premier League podcast, but people in Britain don't say nice things about other no. people. The only time yeah, they take to their true. keyboards yeah. is if they're complaining. Exactly. My that, steak yeah, was cold. Exactly. Yeah. Bad yeah. things, yes. Good things, it's not on the British agenda. <laughs> so if you want to buck that trend, get on Apple Podcasts, leave us a night review, and uh, we might give you a shout out on the podcast. But today's review, anyway, uh, it starts off like this. It says, as someone who reads reviews, I've struggled with sending this as to not sound like the mother of one of the hosts. Uh, we've, all, we've all read those reviews, positive ones on Apple or wherever it is, that sound like they're written by someone involved in the podcast. And oh, yeah. This one does sound a little bit like that. But it starts off, This podcast is ridiculously enjoyable. I've been listening to the podcast daily since the start of the season. As a Canadian who is new to the EPL, I was looking for a podcast to keep me up to date with all the teams. And this podcast is a delight. Their conversations are intelligent, witty, and a lot of times funny. And the guests have a genuine passion for sport that comes through with every episode, even during the international breaks. So thank you, Lovely Nine, for a very lovely podcast review. We yeah. appreciate it. It's good to see my mum's got older. the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the denials <laughs> at the beginning of it that they're not involved. We when, that when did she emigrate to Canada, Marley? When was that? As soon as that virus came in. <laughs> <laughs> right, before we start to believe our own hype, let's get stuck into a little bit of football, shall we? That's what this podcast is about. And we're going to kick off with Leicester City's Four-goal demolition of Aston Villa last night in Monday Night Football. 
Dean Smith did say before the game that he'd hoped that Villa's performance in the Caribou Cup final against City would spur them onto some kind of survival run, but that certainly wasn't the case at all last night. A dismal display from Aston Villa. Yeah, definitely. And and the thing is, the scoreline, although you know if you lost 1-0 or 4-0, it makes no difference. You still don't get any points, no matter how bad you lose. Mm. But with the with the way it's so tight down there, losing by four goals to nil could have a big impact on the relegation picture come the end of the season with goal difference and, and all the rest of it coming into it. Um, that now puts Aston Villa on minus 22. They were level with Bournemouth on minus 18. And Bournemouth and Watford both lost at the weekend in their games. And minus 22 now means that there's a four-goal deficit for Aston Villa to make up. And their next game is Chelsea. So, you know, it's not going to be easy for them. I wouldn't write them off just yet. They still have another game in hand and you just never know in this league. Mm. I mean, Chelsea have not been exactly scintillating this season. They're still clinging on to a place in the top four. So They were at the weekend. Yeah, they were against Everton. They were. They were decent yeah. against Everton. But it, on the whole this season, they have been a bit patchy, yeah. to say the least. So Aston Villa do have a chance there. I don't think they can, can go into that um, that game on Saturday against Chelsea and be you know, completely fearful of the result. However, to lose 4-0 in that circumstance Mm. is a a major, major concern. And the mistakes, the individual mistakes being made by uh, Aston Villa players. I mean, last night for for the first goal, Pepe Reina coming flying out of his penalty area. I know Harvey Barnes is quick. He's 38 years old. I mean, this is the thing. Why don't they play Orion Nyland in goal? Why don't they play him? Well, I think Pepe he's Rainer, been a lot better was, than Rainer. He's been a lot better than Pepe Rainer. Rainer made some decent saves last night, and, and he the, made a huge mistake. The area you're talking about was ridiculous because there was no need for him to come out anyway because the the was, attack was being covered by the three defenders that yeah. were on, that were yeah. between the ball and the goal. So I'm not sure why Pepe Rainer committed like he did for that. And Mings was caught flat-footed as well, um, or he was just kind of the wrong side. It was a bit unfortunate, and he was punching the turf, Tyrone Mings, when that ball hit the back of the net. And as you said, there was three players in claret and blue almost sort of rushing to the line to try and clear it away but Pepe Reina is a man with plenty of experience I would argue and say he's not been Premier League quality for 10 years and that's why we've not seen him well, in the Premier League for 10 years for, as an emergency because Heaton got injured yeah. but from what we've seen from Nyland in the cup performances mm. I think he's warranted enough to get himself back into the Premier League starting 11 for Aston Villa maybe Dean Smith wants a bit of experience I was thinking about this yesterday does anyone actually think Dean Smith knows what he's doing? Yeah, I think he's probably done do. pretty well with Aston Villa. Really? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Uh, do you think he knows t- what he's doing? Because I, I look at some of the things he says in his pre-match press conferences. What do you mean, knows what he's doing? It, it just in, feels like... In he, terms of does he has a, have a plan? He doesn't have a plan, Jim. What's their plan? What's Aston Villa's game plan? What was their game plan against Leicester? I think their plan has been to... Well, it was probably throughout the window by Rayna coming and chasing... Yeah, chasing a long ball and putting them 1-0 down. They're always on the back foot from there. They've attempted to be solid, haven't they? Which hasn't really happened. I think the only reason why they've gone... Well, they're going to go down, I think, this season is is the injuries. I mean, you know, Grealish has been amazing, um, but he he can't be a one-man team. Their their three best players this season probably been Mings, Grealish, and um, the goalkeeper, Heaton. Mm. Like, Heaton was playing out of his skin before he got injured. And when, when he got injured, you were thinking... That's big, but it's happened at the right time in January where you can go and get someone. And the whole, I said it at the time, I, I'm just not convinced about Rayner with the fact that he's been second choice at Napoli uh, for the last couple of years and then second choice at Milan when he went there. He's basically just a, a backup goalkeeper now. And it's kind of, it reminded me of the, the time where, you know, when you're playing football manager and you pick up a, an old experienced <laughs> pro on a free and you, you, t- you get him in your team, he turned out he's, he's just crap. 
he's he's just like that. Like he's just. Well, I think Aston Villa are in a really tough it. point when they brought in Rayner though, because when the January transfer window came around, they had Wesley to replace, they had Rayner to replace, yeah. and at that period of time. It was already looking pretty shaky, their future in the Premier League. They're not going to sign a quality keeper on a short-term deal to the end of the season. They don't want to sign someone in on Premier League wages who they're then going to have to offload in the summer. It was kind of a rock and a hard place for them. So they went with experience. And I can kind of see the logic in that. Oh, I, I don't get it. I can, I can see the, the logic in it, but you've got to judge the player on what he's done in recent years. And I don't think he's been anywhere near good enough to suggest that he can step back into the Premier League mm and pick up where they were hoping he was close to, to leaving off because yeah, he was great 10 years ago, but it's a, what, it's a long time in football. That. What, watch this, he'll retire at the end of the season. Probably. He'll retire at the end of the season and, you th- and Aston Villa fans will think, what the hell was going on there? I mean, Why we just play Nyland. The concern for Aston Villa is that is another mistake for them and they have made more mistakes than any other Premier League team that's directly led to goals this season. Ten yeah. Yeah. Well, it was in total. From, it was so, from their own throw-in, I think, that they gave the ball away to Leicester. So I think, you know, they're... Those are the sort of mistakes that, that Dean Smith has been ruining. And, you know, you can't make mistakes like that and expect to stay up in the Premier League. Um, talking of mistakes, Dean Smith was equally fuming with Michael Oliver's decision to award a penalty oh, to yeah. Leicester when the ball clearly, in my opinion, hit Tyron Mings on the shoulder. Um, we've seen this a few times in the Premier League uh, where defenders have flung themselves at it. John Terry used to do it loads. There was a famous incident at Newcastle a few years ago with Stephen Taylor, <laughs> who threw himself in the way of the ball. I think that um, was against Aston Villa as well. He tried to claim that it hit him in the chest or in the face, and he actually just, it just it hit him on his hugely him. outstretched arm. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, exactly. Um, but this wasn't a hugely outstretched arm. It hit him on the point of the shoulder, mm. which, as far as I'm concerned, and I've always been told, and you know, I don't know if the rules have changed recently, but shoulder is Shoulder's fine. Is, yeah. is fine. Well, let's ask the question here because it's a very underused piece of production on the uh, Football Social Daily podcast. Was it? Very good or very bad? <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> I think we got that made at the beginning of the season. <laughs> that's, right. is that you? that's James. It's that's James me. Wilson, one of it's our producers. Producer that. James, is who it? works in the yeah, office. Yeah. Oh, so was it very good or very bad? So to describe it for you, if you didn't see the game, we've not watched <laughs> it the highlights. It was very loud. Uh, Blue so Tyron Mings attempted the diving header to clear his lines. He j- misjudged it slightly and it appears to kind of touch off the point of the shoulder, as you said, Niall which, according to Stockley Park, was a penalty. Now, I think what made them decide it was a penalty is the movement of his arm at the point of impact because he knows it's going past him. He's misjudged the header, as I said. He kind of tries to move his shoulder, making it an unnatural movement, I guess. But at the same time, it does hit his shoulder and not his arm, so it's not a penalty. Well, right? Zlatan Ibrahimovic, right, and I know this is a bit of a wild example, he moves in the most weird ways. The man's got like a black belt in taekwondo. He scored a goal for AC Milan against Genoa in Serie A at the weekend, where the ball was bouncing at a height where I don't think any of us in the studio could have got our leg that high. But he managed to get his leg high and make an awkward movement, as mm. you call it, and still make clean connection and put the ball in the back of the net. It doesn't matter how awkward the movement is. It hits Mings on the shoulder. Is it not about where the ball hits you on your body? It should It doesn't be. matter about how you get there. Well, this is kind of it, because the movement of his arm, if you watch it in real time, you could kind of be tricked into believing it was a handball. So I because think Oliver the gave the penalty, didn't he, in real time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So then it's reviewed by VAR, and when you watch it slow down, it clearly hits his shoulder. So has Michael Oliver made a decision which isn't then deemed a clear and obvious error, in which case it shouldn't be checked by VAR, 
or has VAR gone, it wasn't a clear and obvious error, so we're not overturning it, or has VAR just messed up completely and watched a different replay to everyone else? Well, the referee oh, gave no. the penalty, so they have on, to check it. Yeah, on on first view in real time, it's 100% a penalty because you're like, why is he making that weird movement? Mm. He, he must have handballed it. And then you see the replay and it's like, even the first one you think, oh, I think, it's, I think it is is a handball. And then you see it again, you think, oh, hang on, it's hit him on the point of the shoulder. And that is that is fine. Because if, if a ball comes from out of the air and it hits you on the point of your shoulder, it bounces up. Yeah. And the way it it acts is just, like, seems less dangerous. But it, it, they've got it wrong. Like, they've they've clearly got it wrong. Um, But if they're saying it's not a clear and obvious error, then what's the point in even having VAR? Because it, There's it, no it, point, Marley. It, exactly. That's exactly. It, it's very exactly. bad. It's very bad decision to answer your question. And... To be honest, I think Michael Oliver would have gone through the rest of the game thinking that he's made the right decision. Because it wasn't a, Michael, go and have a look at the monitor mm. and see what you think, because we're not sure. It was a, Michael, we're going to stick with your original decision. It's a penalty. And he's thinking, all right, I've nailed this. I've yes. nailed the decision. When actually, you know, there'll be people, and Aston Villa fans, I'm sure, that will say that decision might be what cost them a place in the Premier League. And, mm. you know, Michael Oliver then is kind of... <laughs> Got a bit of a, a vendetta amongst Aston Villa fans. It was Jamie Vardy that put the penalty away. No coincidence that Leicester City seemed to have refound their form as Jamie Vardy comes back into the team. Even if it was a cameo performance, what is it, 25 minutes or something like that, he played on the pitch, managed to score a brace in that time. It's impressive that given his goal drought, inverted commas, that he's had since the beginning of the year, and given that he's had some time out through injury, he is still well in the chase for the golden boot. He's right up there. Two goals clear of Aubameyang yeah. now, yeah. So, yeah, he's um, he's evergreen, isn't he? He's 32, 33 years old now, so he's still finding the net. He's still plugged every type of goal. He scores, you know, bangs in penalties. He scores the tap-ins. He scores the ones where he breaks the line. You think, how many 33-year-old strikers could play the way he does mm. is is baffling, to be honest, the way he's... the. Well, there's been a lot made of his diet of Red Bull and, uh, <laughs> and a, a hell of a load of coffee <laughs> yeah. before games, yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's 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 awesome. He's genuinely he's, he's underrated as a as a striker. Yeah, I was going to ask this. Do you think Vardy should be considered as one of the great Premier League strikers in a couple of years when he finally hangs up his boots or whatever? Those two goals last night puts him on 99 Premier League yeah. goals for his career. So he's going to go into the 100 club. He's going to break the mark and go into the 100 club, I'm sure of it. He played in the Premier League till he was 27, did he? He, he didn't till he was well into his 20s. Because of course, he was at, um, was it Harrogate or Halifax? He Halifax. Was and then he went to, off, yeah. to Fleetwood and then, of course, he was picked up by Leicester. So, yeah, I think maybe there is a cause to say that with what he did for Leicester when they won the title in 2016 and how important he's been for them, is he up there as one of the great Premier League goal His scorers? His goal per game ratio has got to be up there with the greats. And the weird thing about Vardy is every single season I expect the bubble to burst. Like <laughs> when, he, when Leicester City went on that great run to win the Premier League and he was their talisman the next season, mm. I never expected him to follow up. And that's been yeah. every single season since. I've been going, that's it for Vardy. Yeah. There's no <laughs> point taking well, a punt at him for a big club because that's it, he's done. In terms of numbers, he's nowhere near the greats. So I just kind of want to back myself up a little bit there when I say what I mean. In terms of numbers, he's nowhere near Cole or even Les Ferdinand or any players like that. Judged by what, though? But judged, judged, by... judged on the fact of the club he played for and what he achieved for Leicester. And as as Marley says, the time he came into the Premier League at the age he was at and actually, you know, the impact he's had on that football club. I mean, they'll, they'll probably build a statue of the guy outside 
King Power Stadium in 20 years' time. I mean, it wouldn't stun me. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I just think in terms of uh, in terms of numbers, he's not going to be up there as one of the greats. But, I mean, in terms of what he's achieved and for the club he's achieved it for, I mean, he's likely going to fire Leicester to Champions League football again just for the second time ever. So I think that he deserves a lot of credit. And as Marley says, I think he's underrated. How much will that result knock the stuffing out of Aston Villa? Because they were in it until the second goal went in pretty much. And after that, the goals they conceded after that second goal, it was real kind of lacklustre defending. It was five-a-side type stuff from Aston Villa. And that was in that one game, which fine, as you say, you get three points, or you don't get three points rather, doesn't matter how many you lose by. But in terms of the rest of the season, how much is that going to really give them a kick in for the running? I I think that was... It's almost like a boxer being groggy, and that was the punch that that knocked him, knocked him out. That that one last night, I just think to lose in that manner when everyone's starting to pick up points and starting to sort of show what they're about in terms of like pulling themselves away from the the, the drop zone. You know, you look at Watford; they've picked up a few results recently, and then every, like all eyes were on Villa last night, and they got they just rolled over. They were absolutely t- like awful defensively. So passive in terms of they were just standing in midfield, letting them mm. just getting passed through. Um, for the for the third for the fourth goal, sorry, um, it was just too easy for Vardy to get in, and it was just far far too easy. And with defending like that, I just don't think they can improve. Because if they were going to improve, I think now's the time where you have to mm. you have to start booking your booking your ideas up. Because it's in their hands still though. They are two points it off, is. but they've got a game in hand. So if they can win the game in hand, it's yeah. all in their control. But, but it just the, feels like it's too difficult. But they're in the worst form in the Premier League, Jim. They've lost four games in a row. And Chelsea up next. So, it, like you say, it's in their own hands, but it's, it's not going to be easy. Cup final thing as well. The uh, Maybe that was their, their big gusto, the big final mm. final shot at uh, the season. And it's maybe tied them out a bit mentally. I'm, I'm not really sure. What about Leicester City then? They are going down. are looking for that top four place. We've kind of been ruling them out a little bit over the last few weeks, saying that maybe those four places are going to be potentially Manchester United, Chelsea, obviously City in there and Liverpool are the top two. That seems pretty nailed on. Can Leicester City hang on to that spot for Champions League football? Yeah, it's their first win in five. They've drawn two and lost the other two. Mm. Uh, and they're still five points clear of Chelsea in third place. Um, you know, the, the thing is, they'll be disappointed that they let Manchester City get away from them. Like you say, after Christmas when Jamie Vardy stopped scoring, they kind of uh, had a bit of a blip and that kind of ended last night. But City are on 57 and Leicester City are on 53. So, you know, that, that gap has widened. So they'd be a bit disappointed about that. And I think Je- uh, I think Brendan Rodgers last night was saying that it wasn't vintage Leicester. I think he feels mm. that they could have been even better. Um, and it was the Villa mistakes that let them in. But their next game's against Watford. So although it's not going to be easy with Watford scrapping away down the bottom there, um, I think that they do have enough left in the tank to, to, to secure top four qualification. I think that the fourth spot in the league where Chelsea are currently, that's what's up for grabs. Wolves got a dissatisfying draw against Brighton at the weekend. Sheffield United got a good win. Spurs Is dissatisfying a word? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I've never heard that word before in my life. <laughs> Unsatisfying. 
this sat all right, fine, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they weren't that happy we with the draw against checks, Brighton. <laughs> we weren't that happy. I've got a degree in English literature as well. I'll be right, devastated if I get that wrong. <laughs> Absolutely devastated. Um, but yeah, I think the Chelsea, the fourth spot, and we don't know what's happening with Man City, so fourth and fifth could be up for grabs. I think Leicester, though, um, I can't see them drop in another nine points uh, in the situation they're in at this moment in time. I think their goal difference is too good as well, so if it comes down to that, then they'll be fine. Uh, so yeah, I, I think they'll hold on to the top four. Just had confirmation. Dissatisfying is a word. So good. Work. There you go. Well, good use of the English language, Niall. Well <laughs> right, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back in a minute. We're going to talk about Spurs, who it's their turn to be the crisis club at the moment, and no one loves a crisis more than Jose Mourinho. They're playing RB Leipzig tonight. We'll talk about that game next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donna Kebab. Kebabs done right every time. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Tottenham and Jose Mourinho are off to Germany tonight for their last 16 match versus RB Leipzig. Coming back from a goal down away from home was never going to be very easy for Spurs, but it's made even trickier by an injury to Stevie Bergwin, who joins Kane and Son on the injury list and leaves Spurs very short of firepower. Simply, can they get a result? In my view, no, they can't get a result. <laughs> I I agree. I I can't see them uh, getting anything. To be honest, I think Leipzig are a very very good team. Um, obviously they've got the likes of Timo Werner banging in goals. They've got a lot of uh, players that can cause Spurs damage. I mean, if they went five centre backs again, because they're worried about what Burnley can do to them, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. Has he got any more set the backs? Has he got any more? <laughs> <laughs> He'd be the, all the academy kids that we lined up 9-0-1 formation <laughs> or something. Um, they'd need to go there and score two goals and would you back Spurs in the current state to score two goals? I'm, I'm not sure. Against a tough tough defence with the likes of Upa Meccano at the back mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all these all these decent players. I I just can't see him. Yeah, they've think... not won in five. They got knocked out of the FA Cup by Norwich. They do need to find a bit of form somewhere. Where does it come from? I mean, maybe this is the game that Jose kind of comes into his own. I've said this before. And I don't know how long it's going to take for me to start to stop back in Jose, but I guess I'm just still kind of romanticised by what he used to achieve when I was kind of growing up watching football. And you knew in these Champions League games, in these big games, mm. when there is a deficit, um, one goal behind, away goal in the Champions League or whatnot. It's just something about Jose. You feel that he's got it about him to do it. However, the injury to Bergvine is an even bigger blow. Can't imagine his mindset and the mood he was in in his press conference yesterday. He must have been in a foul mood. What's interesting about Leipzig is they've drawn their last two Bundesliga games and actually they're fighting it out at the top of the league to try and unseat Bayern Munich, aren't Mm. they? Um, Julian Nagelsmann is is an unbelievable young coach. Uh, However, they did rest Timo Werner in their game at the weekend. They drew 0-0 with Wolfsburg. Also on the bench, Lukman and Olmo, who are two kind of regular players for them. I think Olmo generally tends to start for, for Leipzig. So they've rested a couple of players, including Werner. Um, whether that was in light of getting through to the next stage of the Champions League, I don't know. But certainly I think Tottenham will find it difficult. I thought Jamie Carragher's analysis on Monday Night Football last night uh, about Tangai and Dombele for Tottenham was fascinating. Actually, on the ball, he was very good. Um, but the stats that Carragher revealed, he was 11th for sprints made Mm. in Tottenham's game at the weekend. 11th. Hugo Lloris made more sprints than Tanguy and Dombele. That is shocking. 
it does, that is absolutely shocking for a central midfield player. Players do seem to, oh, sorry, the game, so it does seem to pass in Dumbly by a little bit. Well, during during when it, when he doesn't have the ball when he's not in possession yeah. well, he doesn't with, seem particularly active in that Spurs team as a central midfield player and probably one who Jose wants to pick up the ball from a little bit deeper another stat that was revealed that he picked up two passes and t- how many t- centre backs did Tottenham have five yeah. yeah he picked up two passes from the centre backs two you're a central midfield player so what were Tottenham doing and Don Belly wasn't showing for the ball he wasn't trying to get the ball moving through midfield so. If the centre backs have nowhere to pass the ball, where's it going? It's just going long. It's, it's going route one, and then you're playing into Burnley's hands because that's the game he's they play. It's hiding a little bit, doesn't it? Hundred percent. He's not getting involved. Hundred percent. Is he's that hiding. the pressure of being a record signing, fifty-four million quid? I don't which... think so. I don't think so. I think that maybe that's just the sort of player he is, and maybe Jose needs to drum into him. He needs to do more work off the ball. And he actually he played very similarly in the game before, and Jose gave him a bit of a leeway and said, you know, you know, some players weren't pulling their weight. And actually, he did it again against uh, in the next game against Burnley. So he did it against Norwich. He did it in the next game against Burnley. And then Jose really went to town mm. on him because he think, well, I've given you one chance. Why should I give you another? And he's kind of made an example of him. So whether he even starts tonight against Leipzig remains to be seen. But if he does, I'm sure Jose will be hoping we see a lot more off-the-ball activity from him. He's got everything he needs. I was quite excited by him coming to the Premier League. With the ball, he's brilliant. He's so powerful. He can change. He can. He's one of those players, genuinely... Uh, at Leon, he could change a game just by one moment where he pick up the ball and he can he can shoot from distance. Mm. He's he's got he's got technical ability on the ball, but it is just quite simply a lack of work rate off the ball, which is letting him down. And you can't be like that in the Premier League, and you certainly can't be like that against the Julian Nagelsmann team in the Champions League. You asked how Jose was in the press conference. He was actually all right. He seemed to be in a reasonably good mood, <laughs> and he actually said he's very motivated, very calm, and very positive in his own words. But he did. Kind of make an excuse without making an excuse while saying he wasn't making an excuse. He said, <laughs> imagine Leipzig if they had the injuries that we had, if they had the key players out, which is a fair point. Yeah, yeah. But Spurs fans will argue that the lack of firepower could be combated very easily by Troy Parrott, who's the young striker that every Spurs fan wants to see on the pitch and would seem like the logical choice for Jose to play tonight I've just got a feeling he won't do it again. I've got a feeling he's going to play yeah. Deli Alley in a false nine or something along those lines. Yeah, I think you can't see Parrot being turned to from the start in a in a game that big. Um, to be honest, if you look at the players um, Spurs have, you're looking at the likes of Lamella and Lucas Moura. Those three in a false nine with Deli Alley could work because if you look at like Liverpool play uh, this most similar system to a, a sort of false nine with a deeper striker. You need a you need basically a hybrid of a striker and an attacking midfielder who scores goals. That's that's Deli Ali in a nutshell. And you also need wingers who like to score goals. Lamella and Lucas are good at that, but they've changed formation quite a lot in the last few games. That that system is like tough to to just turn on and off. Mm. You need a lot of training and a lot of drilling on where people go in certain situations for that for that to work it's much easier to just stick a striker up front and try and hit him or try and get him in behind or try and exploit his strengths wherever they they may be um and i think it'll just go tonight where deli ali will be kind of up there isolated and if he drops back into a midfield then there's too many men in midfield and you got no one up front so i just can't see 
anything for Spurs tonight. I think Lucas will probably start up front over Ali, to be honest. But even him, like he's he's like five foot seven, five foot eight. So you've got to go a specific way to get something out yeah. of him, and especially for him to get the better of Upa Meccano, who exactly, just eat him yeah. for breakfast, won't he? Yeah. To be yeah. fair, I mean. I don't know. I mean, the Troy Parrott thing, I'm starting to get a little bit bored slash frustrated with it because Jose's just going to keep saying the same things. But then again, we know Jose. He says one thing and does another thing. So mm. you, you just don't ever know. I Like Marley, I can't see him starting Troy Parrott tonight. I just... It doesn't feel like a very Jose move, It does doesn't it? feel like a Jose move, but at the same time, if he brings him on with 10 minutes to go and he scores a, a late away goal and he gets them through, then he'll be saying, I told you, I know, I'm to pick my moments sort of thing. So... We'll have to wait and see. I think it's going to be so tough for Spurs. Wouldn't surprise me if, if it was the same scoreline again. 1-0 to Leipzig. It really wouldn't shock me. And Jose has got that cushion, that buffer of saying that, you know, they had injuries. But then in a week, they've crashed out of the FA Cup and the Champions League. And what was Jose brought into Tottenham to do? To, to steady the ship, get them back into the top mm. four and possibly win them a trophy, which Pochettino couldn't achieve, specifically the silverware part. Josie wouldn't have done much better, that's for sure. Very interesting summer ahead for Spurs, I think. It'll be <laughs> really interesting to see how Levy plays this one. Right, let's finish by being bang on trend and talking about coronavirus, because everyone else is, so we thought we'd have a crack at it as well. We're not going to talk about panic buying toilet roll or how to <laughs> spot the signs of disease or anything like that. Oh, We're going to yeah. talk about the potential impact on football, particularly the Premier League and Liverpool. Now, football is already being affected around the world. There's no games in Italy. Wolves Europa League match versus Olympiacos is going to be played behind closed doors. The J League has been suspended in Japan. It was announced a few hours ago that Barca's match versus Napoli this week is going to be played behind closed doors as well. So it's inevitable there's going to be some impact on football at some point over here. Yeah, so also the French sports minister yesterday said that all events will be suspended until the 15th of April with more than mm -hmm. a 1,000 spectators in attendance, which means that... Dortmund versus PSG at the Parc de France has been suspended, being played behind closed doors as well. The Austrian sports minister came out about an hour ago this morning and said events with more than 100 people indoor and more than 500 people outdoor are prohibited until early April. Manchester United have a Europa League game against an Austrian side Thursday. So that game might be played behind closed doors. Mm. Now, I'm worried about the... Not, I'm, I'm not asked about Liverpool not winning the trophy at this moment in time. I'm worried about the economical situation that this could, this could affect football. Particularly, and you know me, I'm a bit of a bastion for lower league clubs. I mean, the impact it could have on a club, let's just say, I don't know, a, a small club like Newport, Newport County. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, our game against our game at Wembley against Salford City mm. could be suspended. We've sold 50,000 tickets for that game. Well, there's only know, a that's a big money spinner for our football club. There's only club a in this certain league. amount of games that lower league teams can play without gate receipts and continue Absolutely. surviving. Absolutely, and I think that suspending a programme until April is obviously the right thing to do. If it affects global health, that's more important than sport. But, I mean, it could have a real damaging impact on the financial aspect of football clubs in this country. Um, as for Liverpool, obviously we know that, depending on how results go, they could actually pick up the trophy at Goodison Park mm. in the Merseyside derby against Everton if they beat Everton. Mm -hmm. However, if that game is played behind closed doors and Merseyside <laughs> derby in an empty Goodison and Liverpool win the trophy imagine how much of an uproar that would cause. Well, let's deal with the two issues one at a time. First, there is the financial aspect, and the simple solution there is that the government 
or the government treat it essentially like they're treating other businesses that are going to be affected. There is assistance in there or the FA take action or maybe the Premier League use some of their huge wealth to help support lower league teams. So that needs to be looked at seriously. People's health comes first. Oh, of course. It comes first. And then there was this crazy thing, no handshakes at the weekend. Jurgen Klopp didn't handshake with the coach driver that dropped Liverpool off at the ground, but yet he put his hand on the same suitcase that the coach driver had just <laughs> taken off the bus. And everyone so, hugged at the end of the game. And everyone hugged at the end of the game. So, <laughs> like, you know, that's the thing. It, it is, you know, you, you can go to precautionary measures. Um, that's what Serie A have done. Italy is in lockdown at the moment. The entire of Italy is in lockdown. Yep. Um, that Serie A programme has been suspended. I don't know what's going to happen in this country. They do. There are a few rumours, though, that if the games are played behind closed doors, that the TV would become free to air mm. so that those people with tickets would be able to watch yep. the game, which is interesting. So on the Liverpool thing, Joe Blott, who's the chair of the Liverpool Supporters Union, gave an interview to The Athletic earlier this week. And he said he went to the game on Saturday and he says every fan I spoke to said exactly the same thing. Winning it behind closed doors is our worst fear. It's what everyone's talking about. I mean, on the scale of things. This is pretty small chips, isn't it? In terms of how Liverpool win the league. Well, this fears a bit strong, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, in terms of when there's people. Everton I'd, fans are buzzing. I'd rather win the league than die of coronavirus. Like, <laughs> I, that's my worst fear. I'd be, I'd be more scared of catching it and dying than my team winning the league in an empty stadium. Some things right? are more important, aren't they? Yeah. I have a bit of perspective, mate. You absolute idiot. But does that take the, the shine fear, off? Mate, does that take the shine it, it off? It takes the shine Liverpool. off of maybe the players who can't celebrate it in front of the travelling supporters mm. at Goodison Park. If it is there, I'm, I'm sorry to speculate. If you're an Everton fan listening and think I do think the title will probably be won at your place, unfortunately, yeah, but, it'll be Palace the week after. Uh, it could be Palace the week after. It could be whatever the situation is. Do you really think that if Liverpool and Virgil Van Dijk and Jurgen Klopp get their hands on that Premier League trophy, do you really think that people are going to stay inside in Liverpool that night? You really think the pubs are going to be closed? You really think there's going to be no this, one in the Cavern Club? This is the you really weird think thing, there's isn't not, it? You really think there's not going to be people out all night until the sun comes up celebrating the title? Absolute nonsense. Liverpool's going to be absolutely mental that night when Liverpool lift the trophy. It's going to be mad. Yeah. And coronavirus is not going to stop those people going out and having 20 beers and 10 pints of vodka or whatever. It's not going to stop them doing it. They're going to enjoy themselves. It might be a bit of a shame for the players who probably deserve a bit of a better reception inside the stadium because there'll be no one there if this is the situation. But it's not going to stop the fans celebrating what is an amazing achievement for them after so long. And however many people are in the stadium or watching at home or on the streets, whatever that figure in 30 years' time, when they're looking back at who won the, the Premier title, League, they've still yeah, won the yeah, Premier League. Absolutely. Yeah. Like they're, they're not ones to, to not raise something. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool fans, that was a very cautiously trod round <laughs> sentence, Marley. Like, they're not gonna, they're not gonna just forget that they won the Premier League. Yeah. So yeah. they they are gonna be quite vocal on I mean, social media and in real life and on the streets of of Liverpool when whenever they do win it. So how I, ridiculous is it gonna be in a few years when uh, Liverpool fans say, "Oh, we won the league," and a United Manchester United fan goes. Yeah, but you didn't have any fans in the ground when you lifted the trophy. <laughs> and so what, mate? You know, that's the way it goes. Um, hopefully it doesn't get to that stage and hopefully we can keep a lid on, on this sort of coronavirus spread. Um, but you just don't know. And we, obviously, we're awaiting government instructions. Mm. I'm just seeing here as well that UEFA 
uh, are also waiting confirmation as to whether the games in the Europa League and Champions League, possibly more games, will be played behind closed doors. So we have to wait and see. It seems likely it will have some impact on Premier League football, though. But as you say, we'll have to wait and see what that is. Thank you very much for listening to Football Social Daily. Marley, Niall, thank you very much, boys. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow for the next episode. Make sure you click subscribe so you get that one as soon as it's ready. And if you've got an Amazon Alexa, give our special Alexa skill a go because you can now get daily updates on your team, whoever it is you support in the Premier League, just by saying Alexa, open Sports Social. Go give it a go and we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Try the new KKL Kebab only from German Doner Kebab.